0: Um, our scripture reading today, Romans six fifteen to twenty three. Romans Wait chapter go. six fifteen. Do you mind getting the door for twenty three? That door. <laughs> yeah, got, got all the mics on. Um, surround go. thx surround sound. All right, so Romans six fifteen. Uh, if you need a pew Bible, we've also got it on on our um, on our screens and in the in the. Um, What is this bulletin? Romans 6.15. Paul had just finished saying, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So here's our reading. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The Word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. Now you're wondering why he was reading that particular... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. No! No! When the pastor had the opportunity to drive a walk in the sanctuary, and it has been my demise? it In it that helped to keep you balanced up to a certain point. <laughs> if one goes over 19 miles an hour, it no longer has the ability to stabilize you. And as my speedometer said 20 and a half, I uh, lost control and went over the front. And of course, it was the one time I was not wearing protective gear. Shame, shame. Why do I share about the one wheel? Well, because I'm an idiot for one. But the second reason is I think that this one wheel in some ways represents life. You're riding along and all seems fine. Everything's going great. And then in a blink of an eye, you find yourself pitching over the front and the consequences uh, that come with it. Life is kind of like that. And often those mistakes are of our own making, aren't they? When we look back and examine them. The question we have is how do we live life before us? It seems so complicated. How do we uh, thrive rather than simply surviving? How are we supposed to live life the way it was intended to live? Well, this passage teaches us something very important. That the way we live life is based on the correct master. It's the master that we choose to follow that ultimately results either in life or in death. In America, we live under the illusion that we are autonomous beings, that we can do whatever we want. But the scriptures say something quite different. There is no such thing as human freedom. The human freedom we have is in which thing we will offer ourselves to. Either becoming slaves of sin, which will lead to death, or of God, which will lead to life and righteousness. What the scripture ultimately teaches us is that Jesus Christ is not only Savior, but Lord. And Christ will either be Lord of all your life, or not Lord at all of your life. So we're going to take a look at this scripture over the next four hours. We're going to look at three specific points. Number one, we have to understand the reality of who we are. Something has changed in us. We are a new creation in Christ. If we don't understand who we are, we will continue to be pulled back and forth by different masters. Number two, we have to understand the responsibility that comes with us at how we live. That we have a part to play in this life of ours. It's not simply letting go and letting God And finally, the results of how you live. Based on the responsibility of how you live will ultimately lead to results. And what we want to have as results in our life is a life of righteousness and flourishing and peace. But we have to understand the reality of who we are and the responsibility of how we live if we understand that. So let's begin with point number one, the reality of who you are. Verse 15 starts out with this comment. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Now, it seems if you have deja vu, that you have heard this statement before. In fact, it was in verse 1. I preached several weeks ago. But the question that was asked was a little different. It was, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, the detractors back then were asking the question, are you saying, Paul, that we can continue to sin in order to gain more grace? Where in this question, in verse 15, it's a question of, are you saying that we can sin because of grace? In other words, we already have grace now. We don't need to gain more. But as a result, because we have grace, it doesn't matter how we live. This is because in verse 14, Paul has said for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. In particular, the Jewish detractors were saying, wait a second, Paul, if you're saying we're no longer under the law, you're under grace, people are going to do whatever they want. There is no constraint into how someone is supposed to behave. In America, we have a version kind of like that, which is living according to our conscience. Romans 2.14 and 15 tells us that everyone has a sense of the law of God on their own hearts. What is right and what is wrong. And in fact, if you ask people ultimately why they're going to heaven, whether they believe in Jesus or not, it's ultimately the standard of, because I'm a good person. That, of course, the question is compared to who? Who? There was an article in the New York Times, and it was actually written by an evolutionary biologist, but he found something very interesting. He he says that there is a moral grammar that exists in all people. He uses the term moral grammar because they have discovered that there is a language grammar that exists in all people, regardless of culture. There's some common phonics. And the reason he said that there is a moral grammar is because many rules are in fact the same or very similar in every society. Do as you would be done by. Care for children in the weak. Don't kill. Avoid adultery and incest. Don't cheat, steal, or lie. In fact, in a lot of this man's research, the evidence for a moral grammar was indirect from the psychological tests of children showing that they have such as an innate sense of fairness that starts to unfold at age four. In other words, in us there is a sense of what is true and what is right, not that we necessarily follow it. That has led some in our country to decry. The problem with our country is we've gotten back. We've gotten away from knowing right and wrong, and we need to get back to that. I don't know if you've seen those billboards, right? What this country needs is a return to the Ten Commandments. But Paul is saying something far different, that that is not going to solve your problem. In fact, Paul is saying, he's proclaiming the release of Christians from the power of the law as a necessary step in order to overthrow the reign of sin. Now, why is that, Paul? Why is knowing right, not going to help us to do right. And that is because of the problem of the human heart. See, the scriptures tell us that the law not only defines sin, but as it's doing so, also provokes sin. See, when our nature is confronted by the law, our sinful nature takes on the character of rebellion. Rebellion so that people actually enjoy transgressing the commands in order to demonstrate their independence. You've certainly seen this in your own life, right? Or in your children's lives, when somebody tells you what you're supposed to do. Inside you're saying, you can't tell me what to do. In fact, I'm gonna do something different to demonstrate that I am autonomous. But we aren't really autonomous, are we? We're a slave of our passions. And so Paul uses the illustration of slavery to demonstrate this. Look in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, there are two choices here. You can either serve slavery, serve sin, Or of obedience. Now, when Paul is talking about slavery, we often think about slavery in terms of in this culture. And in this culture, slavery was mostly forced. In other words, there were people that were captured and taken from their land and brought here and made to serve. But in Israel and in Rome at the time, most of slavery, almost all of the slavery, was voluntary. And it usually went something like this. You owed somebody something and you could not pay them. And so essentially you went to them and said, I cannot pay you, so I will serve you. I will become your slave. And for a certain period of time, whatever that was, that person would become your master. You sold yourself. Paul is saying to the Christian that you were once like that you had to obey sin. In fact, what sin did was it used the law to condemn you. You're supposed to do this this and this, but you haven't done it, you can't do it, you won't do it. And the response of our heart was I cannot sir I cannot do this. I cannot pay you so I will serve you. You once had to obey sin. But notice verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin. In other words, you once had to live that way, Christian, but you no longer have to live that way anymore. It's speaking of your past tense. I've brought something with me. It's a mini bone. It says milk bone on it. This is the most powerful tool in the life of my dog, Pepper. I can get Pepper to do anything with the milk bone, right? Right? I yelled to Pepper, come! He does nothing. Come, Pepper! And he runs like the Dickens. Pepper, write a treatise on biology. He would do it for the milk bone. You see, I've mastered Pepper with the milk bone. I command, he obeys. And that is what happened to us when we were still under sin. In fact, it is what happens to you if you are not yet a Christian. You have to obey what sin says. But something has now changed, hasn't it? Notice, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. See, now we are slaves of a new master. There's a new person we're bound to obey and it's not sin, but rather it's righteousness. It's living in God's way. See, the power of Christianity is this. When sin comes to me and tries to condemn me by the law, saying, you haven't done this, this, or this, my response is, but the grace of Jesus Christ frees me because Christ has done this, this, or this, and I am righteous in Him. You no longer have power over me. You no longer can make me obey. Now, why is this important? It's important because the scriptures tell us that when you present yourself as a slave to someone, you are a slave to the one uh, that you uh, must obey. And you can present yourself as a slave to someone who is not your master. You now have a choice. But why would you want to surrender yourself and your life and your freedom to someone who is not your master? All too often it's because That's the only way we know how to live. Or we're being tricked into living a way that we shouldn't live. I owe it, I can't pay, I must obey. Paul is saying that's no longer true for you. This one wheel is a powerful tool. It goes up to 19 miles an hour and it helps to balance you with its computers. But after 19 miles an hour, it can no longer support you. The gyros no longer keep you in check. And that's what happened. I got a little cocky. It's feeling good. It's, I'm looking great here. And I went beyond. And when I went beyond, I paid. But you see, that's what sin does in your life. Sin is not interested in you enjoying the ride. Sin wants to push you past 19. It will push you past 19. 19. It'll wreck your life. The scriptures tell us that Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. And when we surrender ourselves to him as master, he will wreck our relationships. He will wreck your health. He will wreck your heart. And he will wreck your mind. See, the wages of sin is death. But we have to understand, we have to take it to the bank that we do not have to obey. That sin and Satan is no longer our master. There's only one master you have to obey now, and that's God. If you are a Christian who has purchased you, who has redeemed you, who has paid for you, his plans are for you and his plans are good. But unless you know that and believe that, you're doomed for a life, of failure. And so what Paul is calling us to do is to stand up to sin. To recognize the reality of who we are that we do not owe him anymore. We no longer have to answer his call. Satan uses guilt and shame to trip us up. But guilt and shame can never change the human heart. Only love can do that. We're under grace, so we don't owe sin anything. We can live free. But what does it mean to live free? This moves me to the second point, the responsibility of how you live. Notice verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. You see, grace not only liberates it constrains as well. Grace creates a willing obedience of a renewed heart and mind. A new desire to serve a new master. And that is Christ as Lord. See, if you be, when you became a Christian, if you are a Christian, in our heart should be a desire to recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. C.H. Spurgeon, the great pastor and preacher, put it this way. I cannot conceive it possible for anyone truly to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, yet not to receive him as Lord. A man who is really saved by grace does not need to be told that he is under solemn obligations to serve Christ. The new life within him tells him that. Instead of regarding it as a burden, he gladly surrenders himself, body, soul, and spirit to the Lord who has redeemed him, reckoning this to be reasonable service. It's built in us a desire to serve our Redeemer and King. One of the things that's so dangerous in Christianity, particularly American Christianity, is a false gospel that is preached often in evangelistic circles. In these sermons, we often hear the Savior characteristics of God. His his stress on his love and his mercy and his goodness. But the matter of his lordship is absent. This modern practice, this call to repentance is usually an invitation, which one can obviously accept or refuse. And it's offered politely. But seldom do we hear God's sovereign demand to repent or his demand for total submission to the authority of his appointed king, Jesus Christ. See, the gospel at its core, my friends, is not an invitation. It's a summons. Repent and believe the good news that Christ the King has come and He has given you salvation, a new freedom from sin. Do you know in the book of Acts, the word Savior only occurs twice in the Acts of the Apostles. And on the other hand, the title Lord appears 92 times. Lord Jesus 13 times and the Lord Jesus six times in the same book. And so we must examine our our own heart and our own discipleship, our own salvation. Do I recognize his kingship along with his salvation? Do I see the whole Christ and have embraced the whole Christ? Or only a Christ that isn't really a Christ at all? See, if we understand the whole Christ and glory and desire him, we will see the indicative of what he's done and the imperative of what he's called us to do. Notice verse 19. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. See, what Paul is saying is that you and I have a responsibility to present ourselves. This word is used just twice in this verse alone, but it's used multiple times in this passage. That we are to present our members. What are our members? Well, here's one of them our arms, our voice, our mind, our instruments. These members are the way that I act in the world. It's the way that I interface. It's the way that I do things. Paul is saying that I present myself as a slave and go and do his work. Notice how he parallels it to the bad. As you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, think back. As we once felt the temptation and acted upon it. What he's saying is now, when we hear his commands and know how we should live, we act upon it as well. In parallel, yet opposite fashion. We are to present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. What does that mean, present ourselves as slaves to righteousness? I like verse 16, which spells it out, where it talks of presenting ourselves to be slaves of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse seventeen puts it this way: that you were obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He's talking about obeying our master's will. Second Timothy three sixteen puts it this way: that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, rebu- reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work God has given us his words to show us how to obey him, to show us how to love him Carlos says what you're telling me this sounds a lot like legalism wait a second are you saying I have to obey these commands in order to receive the favor of God no I'm not See, when we were slaves of sin, in fact, the two words, if you look, that describe sin are slavery and death. But if you really want to look at the word Christianity and what is the word that explains Christians and the the church, the, the word is family. In our family, we have rules. They're the family rules. My wife and I have put down the family rules for the good of our children. So, for instance, right now, Will is at JMU or just got back from JMU where he went for a a visit. That's where he's going to be going for college. As Will is away from us, he knows the family rules that he is to obey, which we have given him for his good, that he might experience the freedom that comes within the constraints of living in the boundaries of that which is good for him. See, living to obey Christ is not legalism because we're not obeying to win the favor of God. We are obeying out of the favor of God. Legalism says, I obey, therefore I am loved. But grace says, I'm loved, therefore I obey. Now on the far other side of the spectrum, there are those who hold to a term or position called antinomianism. Which really means God doesn't care how I live. I've been saved by grace. I can do my own thing and God really doesn't care. Any good parent watches over their children to make sure that they live in the right way. And will punish them if they don't. I remember the first time one of our kids ran out into the street without thinking about it. We made sure to punish them severely at that point. Why? So they would know that that is not what is best for them. See, we want to experience life and God wants us to experience the best of life. But we have a responsibility of our freedom. I like the way Paul put it in Philippians 2:12 to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's kind of like this one wheel. I keep coming back to the one wheel. It's a little strange, isn't it? The one wheel is a very powerful tool. And how does it work? It works because there are gyroscopes in it. If you were to buy, like, an electric skateboard, you get on it and they give you a little trigger. And you push the button and you go, and you push the button and it stops. It's not the way it works with the one wheel. The one wheel has uh, gyroscopes in it and a motor in the wheel. And when I lean, the motor moves into action and the gyroscopes continue to move the wheel under my feet, so to speak. So if I lean back, it does the exact opposite. You see, I take the action and it responds in kind along with me. We are working, if you will, in concert. And as long as I work within the confines of the way it was made to live, I experience joy and freedom and all that the life has to offer. But when I step outside of the boundaries, it will no longer support or sustain me. It will allow me to experience the pain so that I do not do it again. See, that's the neat thing about Christianity. That God has changed our hearts and given us the responsibility to grow up in Him to present ourselves in obedience as He walks alongside of us, empowering us, if you will, propelling us in godliness. See, that's the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ. He calls us to live what before would be an impossible life. I can't love my neighbor. Do it. And I will be with you. I can't not succumb to that temptation. I must surrender to it. But God's word says no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way so that you can stand under it. So when we respond in obedience to God, God is there. God is calling us to live an obedient life that we might experience the blessing and freedom of the life that God has called us to. So, my friends, we have a responsibility not to be passive, but to be active, to present ourselves as slaves to God in obedience to His Word. Abram Kuyper said, no single piece of our world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not call, cry, mine. And so what is it in your life that you need to give over to the lordship of Christ by obeying him? Is it your time Oh, my time is my own. What I do with it is my own. There's nothing that's our own. Everything belongs to Him. It's only Christ that can bring life into my time. So, what is His Word telling me to do? Not just what is Christian culture telling me to do, but what is His Word telling me to do? Is my money under the Lordship of Christ? Have I given it to Him? Am I walking in accordance with His principles? What about my ambitions? Have I surrendered them to the Lord? I give you my dreams. I give you my hopes. I give you my ambitions. Make of me what you want. My marriage. My relationship with my spouse. My relationship with my kids. Is Christ the master of these areas of my life? We have not advanced very far in our spiritual lives if we have not encountered the basic paradox of freedom. That we are most free when we are most bound. But not just any way of being bound will suffice. What matters is the character of our binding. Think of if you would be an athlete. But if you're unwilling to discipline your body by regular exercise and by abstaining from certain things, you'll never be free to excel on the track or on the field. See, it's their failure to train rigorously that denies them the freedom to run with the desired speed and endurance. If you look at all the great saints of old, they applied this principle to their life that discipline is the price of freedom. And so I'm not going to lie to you, my friends. Christianity is simple, but that doesn't make it easy. I no longer have to obey sin. I am free. But to experience the blessings and benefits of the lordship of Jesus Christ, I have to continually die to myself and live to him. But what else is worth living for? Is this all there is? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That is magnificent freedom giving myself to Christ moment by moment in obedience and experiencing the life and life to the full that he's called us to. This brings me to my final point, the results of how you live. It's very clear that there are two masters and two paths which lead to two destinies, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus. Notice what he says For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sanctification, the process of becoming conformed more and more like Christ. That is what God is doing in your life. He's in the business of transformation. We're in the business of acquisition if we live according to our master, Satan, who is no longer our master. But if we live according to Jesus Christ, he's in the business of transformation. Isn't it a beautiful thing to watch your children grow and become strong and to live on their own and to see the freedom that comes with discipline and perseverance? Why do we think that our Heavenly Father would have a different purpose for us than that? See, I want us when we grow and walk in this path of obedience to Christ to experience the joy and freedom that comes more and more with being in tune with his will, seeing the life through his eyes, loving people with his heart, not fearing the world or the uncertainty of it, because God is king over all. And we participate in it. 22 sums it up this way. But you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. This is what God is doing in your life and he will be content with no less. I love what Corey Tinboom said. She said, I try to hold things now with an open hand because it's just too painful when God has to pry it open. What is it that you need to open your hand to, to God? To say you are master not only of me but every aspect of me. You can live life like this or you can live life obeying the master Jesus Christ and experience life. Jesus will either be Lord of all of your life or not Lord at all of your life. Give your life to him. Start walking in obedience and you will discover that he's right there with you, in front of you and behind you. For I can do all things through him who gives me strength when he has called me to his purpose. Two masters, one that leads to death, one that leads to life. If you are not a Christian, you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. He offers freedom from the mastery of sin and death. Would you not surrender your heart to him? It's a summons to repent and believe. And if you are a Christian, You no longer owe sin anything. You're not under law, you're under grace. Walk in obedience. Experience his freedom. Let's pray. Oh Father, we pray that the truth of the gospel would go deep into our hearts. That we would know, that we would know, that we would know. That we have been set free from the dominion of sin and no longer have to obey it. Father, help us to surrender ourselves fully, moment by moment, day by day, area by area, to you in obedience, and to walk, trusting that you will be there with us, empowering us and strengthening us to live the impossible life. That is your promise, and you are always faithful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.